0: There were a few moments, and one of these was 2011 in the UK when uh, the Prime Minister then threatened to switch off parts of the internet to counter protests. It was quite a scary time. Yet, this idea that a vital communications asset could just be switched off, trying to prevent protests, really struck the wrong chord with me.
1: Hi, everyone. Today, I'm with Alp Toker, the founder and the director of NetBlocks how are you doing today alp hi i'm okay thanks it's amazing to be here thanks for having me on the show it's awesome um i'd like to start from the beginning you know could you tell me in one sentence what netblocks is
0: netblocks is a global internet monitor and watchdog organization working at the intersection of human rights cybersecurity and internet governance
1: awesome and uh how did your interest in digital rights begin exactly
0: Uh, I'm a technologist, so I'm interested in how things work. I like taking them apart, putting them back together. And for me, the Internet is very much the same. I'm a software developer, a coder. I've worked on many open source technology projects, and I've worked on the infrastructure of the Internet. And to see that there are problems in this infrastructure, that there is censorship online, that there are Internet freedom issues, has really struck me at the core. And Netbox really came together as a way of trying to shed light on that and improve the situation. The humble beginnings of
1: netblocks were super important. And uh, what were sort of the first steps of netblocks? How did it all begin, essentially?
0: Netblocks came together as a series of epiphanies, perhaps awakenings, and this realization that there was something wrong, that there was a problem. Uh, For me, I would say that there were a few moments, and one of these was 2011 in the UK, when uh, the prime minister then uh, threatened to switch off parts of the internet to counter protests. So there were riots, protests. Um, it was quite a scary time. And uh, yet this idea that a vital communications asset could just be switched off as a way of of trying to prevent protests really struck the wrong chord with me. And uh, another moment has to be uh, 2015 when I was in Turkey. Uh, my family's from Turkey. And I was, I was there and... Um, I was in the vicinity of a terror attack. And in uh, the hours following that attack, internet connectivity was disrupted by the authorities. And I thought, you know, that's the last thing you need when you've just had a traumatic experience, to be shut off from the world, to not be able to tell friends and family where you are. So it's really this combination of of my two countries and my experience um, that really took me to this, this place where... We have this watch organization that, that monitors internet connectivity and freedom in real time. We're going
1: to talk about, you know, internet shutdowns in just a bit, but... And it makes me think that this whole, you know, the whole human race is right now is super connected to the internet. I mean, it's it's our number one communication uh, all around the world, and just the thought of just ha- you know having that shut down is uh, scary. But um, you know, during these turbulent times, I think Netblocks is a great place to turn into. Um, and uh, you know, maybe you could tell me a bit more about the
0: vision of Netblocks. Like, what is your key mission? So the vision has really just. Grown from these personal experiences uh, to something greater. As more and more people have said, you know, this is a problem for us too. Uh, that mission has expanded. Uh, we've monitored other phenomena we see during conflict. Uh, we see that that uh, war um, and kinetic impacts can disconnect populations at critical moments. We've seen that uh, incidents, even the weather, can affect connectivity. So this this mission has really grown to understand internet infrastructure and to map it and monitor it in real time to help populations uh, during these crisis situations. And,
1: you know, this, uh, this whole podcast, this show, uh, one of the reasons why we're here is because we are going to have a partnership with Netblocks, And we, we thought, you know, with these internet shutdowns happening and, and things like that, and what you guys are doing at the core of it, it really resonates with us. Maybe you could tell more about this partnership that we're doing.
0: Yeah, uh, we're super excited about working with Surfshark. I think it's been a long time coming. Um, there's been collaboration with Checked In and uh, Surfshark's been doing good reporting on internet freedom. Now we focus on the actual incidents. So this is, uh, say, something happens. We report on that in real time. We supply the tools to monitor that. We supply uh, visualizations and the investigations around that. So what we're doing is essentially journalism, and then you have Surfshark, which has been preparing these these more longitudinal reports that really cover uh, Internet freedom, Internet censorship over time. So they really complement each other perfectly. And this idea that we've been feeding into these reports and that these reports also support our work is a really compelling basis to kind of work together and, and move that relationship forward.
1: That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, maybe we're going to have more partnerships in, in the future. Maybe we'll have like a board of cybersecurity experts that we could get together. So let's talk about, um, you know, internet shutdowns. And uh, again, the, the thought of just losing internet connectivity is scary. I remember when I was used to go to uh my grandma and used to visit her and like the connectivity used to be very bad there. For me as a teenager, like my whole life would just shamble <laughs> because like my all my friends are on Facebook and things like that and and, and we're all just connected. Uh let's talk about those shutdowns. As you mentioned, NetBlocks is known to monitor and spread the news about the internet shutdown. So, uh you know, if we dig deeper, could you define
0: what an internet shutdown is at the core of it? So, an internet shutdown is an overloaded term. And it's actually a term that we don't like using all that much because it means so many different things to different people. But there is a core factor here, which is intent. An internet shutdown implies that people have been cut off from either the whole internet or part of the internet, um, and that this has been done purposely, that, that someone has decided, really, you know, I don't want these people communicating. I don't want, um, say, my, my country being online. It may be a political scandal. It may be a crisis. It may be a misguided attempt to actually reduce uh, conflict or disagreement. But in all cases, this this is at at its core is that it is all about uh, somebody deciding that the internet should be cut. So an internet shutdown uh, affects a mass scale. It can be um, affecting core network connectivity, uh, really almost at the physical layer or the network layer. So you you know your modem lights won't blink. Your phone will not connect to your, your cellular network, but it can also be more, more um, broad, uh, less broad than that. It can be more targeted towards key communications infrastructure, either telephony or even social media platforms. So uh, for us, uh, the main part of the focus is on these total blackouts of communications, but we also track uh, impacts to social platforms that people can work around and find ways to really get back online. And, uh, you know, these have disproportionate effects, on people's daily lives and human rights so it's vital to monitor it
1: and when we talk about like who's doing these attacks because uh we, we spoke about the government the government can do that but uh so yeah my, my question is basically who would be uh, the one that's doing the attacks essentially
0: well so over the years you know we've seen so many different scenarios different ways that the internet is shut off or that these uh these uh, censorship incidents are implemented. We've seen some common themes. It it's, tends to be somebody or an organization in a position of power. Now, this could mean, say, a president or a prime minister has um, secretly ordered an issue to internet providers to turn off internet connectivity, but it can also be more legalistic. There may be an open and transparent audit uh, issued, again, to those companies or to the core gateway providers. In some cases, even disconnecting uh, subsea cables to disconnect countries. Uh, And now the key thing is here, it's coming top down. So it's an order that the internet providers have to uh, comply with. If they refuse, quite often their staff are threatened, pressured. So it's a scary business. Um, This can happen uh, during political crises. We we monitor elections, for example. The Netbox uh, Election Pathfinder project is monitoring elections to see if people are able to connect and stay connected during elections. We also monitor connectivity during crises, during uprisings, uh, during during peaceful protests. Um, and these are some of the events where you, you see surprising the broad um, measures to switch people off in countries where you'd like to not see that really. Also, you have conflict war. And this is one of the frightening ones, because even if your own government is really fighting to keep internet connectivity, say, look at Ukraine. Uh, then um, during during the recent invasion, we've seen that Russia is able to exert uh, controls on this neighboring country. So these are also internet shutdowns, even though they're imposed by a different party. So you have all of these different phenomena coming together to create an internet that isn't always available when it should be. Could you tell me about
1: sort of how you guys do the technical side of it, the monitoring part? Because that is is the part that really interests me.
0: So the technical part is super interesting. It's stuff that I've been building hands-on, and it's, it's quite a focused technology stack. Now, what we do is really a combination of journalism, human rights documentation, and uh, the technical part, which involves big data and monitoring. And it's a fusion of all of these uh, to create a workflow that allows us to inform the public in real time during internet censorship crises. Now, the tech is, uh, like I said, a big data platform. We connect, collect uh, data on uh, internet infrastructure. So this is about what is reachable and what isn't reachable, and how connectivity is in a given country. Uh, we we monitor over 150 countries very closely and in real time, and we have reporting on 200 countries and territories. So it's really at scale. And what this lets us do is we get to see uh, how service is on each internet provider in that country, and we get to see this as it changes over time, and we get to map this out in terms of latency and connectivity so whether people are able to actually get online and this is really important because when a country goes offline very often you don't hear from the people there because they're cut off so you need some kind of external monitoring so this is one of our core technologies but beyond this we also monitor internet traffic we work with uh, trusted data sources so that we can get an understanding of whether people can actually get through to the online platforms now this is sometimes slightly different than connectivity This is about actually saying, you know, does the web work? When I enter that URL in my browser bar, will that then work? Will I be able to get through? This is also very useful to see how much people are using the internet, not just whether they're online, but um, in terms of the amount of overall traffic. So this is useful. We also have um, reachability. Now, again, this is a different, this is a third type of monitoring or measurement. And um, this is very participatory. We we put out tools that the public can use that people can use to, to check their own connectivity performance. And um, this lets us see if social media is available, if news websites are reachable. Um, you know, these are key moments when sometimes core internet connectivity is still there, but it turns out that hey, you can't get on Twitter, you can't post that vital video that shows, say, an election being stolen or ballots being replaced. And this is this is really almost equally important when we look at the practical use use cases and human rights. So we're pulling together all of these. And beneath each of these, there are also different uh, sub-methodologies, different sub-projects. So it's quite expansive. But we pull together all of this to produce um, the raw feed that then uh, contributes to our journalism.
1: And are these tools available on your website, on
0: NetBlocks? Yeah, we provide links so that people can go and um, run them and see how their own connection is working wherever they are in the world. Yeah, we'll leave
1: that actually in the description below this uh, podcast so you can check it out as well. Um, now, when, when we're talking about internet shutdowns, uh, you know, it feels very dictatorship style, you know, like uh, a big uh, one person decision, somebody, uh, uh, you know, as I mentioned, a dictator can just like, sh- let's shut it off so we can control the people. Um, you know, and this whole sense like for me, we live in Lithuania here and uh, you know, this this whole thing feels a bit distant for me because we we live in a democratic country and uh um I feel safe. And but uh, but am I safe? You know, um and so maybe we can uh, sort of discuss that and should I be worried about these internet shutdowns if I live in 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 a country such as where I am?
0: You know, so many times again and again we've seen. I mean, if I could count the number of times that a country has almost gloated about its, its neighboring country. We've seen this a lot in, in African countries particularly, is that they'll say, hey, look, our neighbor does this, but our country would never do this. We have democracy. And then uh, no more than a month passes and it's already come to, to that country. So uh, quite often that confidence comes before a fall. And um, the fact is that you never know where it's going to happen next. Because overall, internet freedom is declining. As you, you'll see in, in those reports that, that Surfshark has been producing, uh, you see that the world is less and less free and that manifests itself online as well. So there are so many different reasons why internet might be shut down that you can never bet that that is going to remain available. Uh, you might find the most ridiculous um, pretexts being used. So it's really useful to just keep tabs on the phenomenon and treat it as a global issue, not just a global South issue, or not, not just a human rights issue even, but really something that affects everyone. And we need to fight for our internet connectivity and make sure it stays on.
1: Now, specific websites like Twitter can be also targeted by you know DDoS attacks and things like that. And uh, what do, what would people do in that case? Uh, would, would we have to rely on uh, you know Twitter to get their servers up and running again?
0: Yeah, so I mean, at Netflix, we've been monitoring cyber attacks as well as internet shutdowns. And that's a key part of trying to differentiate these types of incidents. Now, what happens if, if Twitter goes down? I think this is very terrifying for a lot of Twitter users. Mm-hmm. But it's also worth remembering that Twitter isn't the only Uh, Platform. One of the things we support, one of the concepts we support at Netbox is decentralization. So this idea that you can use uh, peer-to-peer communications and get that message through, even if uh, a service goes down, if there's a cyber attack, or if if it's shut down. So uh, the good news is we do have other options if Twitter is completely down. We have uh, both other centralized options, like, say, Telegram, but we also have... um, we have decentralized options like Mastodon, which will allow the message to get through. But obviously, we still want people to stay connected, and that means circumventing internet censorship and restrictions where possible. We're also, say, in a cyber attack, which has only taken down part of the infrastructure. You can still connect by using, say, a VPN, and, and you can then get back online. And this is, again, why working with Surfshark is, is really important for us, because we have a technology here that we can recommend that can actually help people get reconnected and help get their message out during these situations
1: yeah i can even shed a bit of a light there we have a ton of users from you know places like china where you know, for some, you know, some people will be surprised. You cannot access things like Google or YouTube through here. So we have, we see a, a ton of users there who, uh, who love the you know VPN service that we provide, and they can access those things. And uh, you know, that's a good actually example. Hey, if you want to see what this uh, you know censorship was look like, just go you know go to China and you'll you'll see what what it is and what it feels like. You spoke a bit about cyber attacks, and we spoke about maybe governments doing uh, you know these uh, these things. And what about like malicious actors who want to target, uh, you know, the, the ISPs in, the, in a given country. Could that happen? Could uh, could ISPs be targeted by, you know, cyber attacks and things like that?
0: Yes. Yeah, so ISPs are a natural target for um, uh, potential threat actors because they provide the core connectivity without the ISP uh, that leaves potentially significant parts of the population left offline. Now, unfortunately, this question has been answered. You know, we've been monitoring uh, the war in Ukraine, and uh, we've seen that this targeted kind of attack um, on ISPs has been used as as an instrument of war during this crisis. So uh, we've seen that ISPs can be knocked out um, centrally and can be left offline for um, hours, even days, uh, by a threat actor that is targeting that infrastructure. Now this is pretty alarming, and it also brings things home that this can happen to everyone. I mean, if, if if we look at our own infrastructure at Netbox, we try to have as many ISPs as we can so that if one goes down, you can use the other. But that option isn't always available to everyone. And uh, that's why we have been encouraging countries to audit and check over their infrastructure and make sure that things are secure, make sure that services are patched, but also that um, that overall the right approaches are used to to make sure organization security is there. So yeah, ISPs are a risk. It helps when there is more than one ISP and when infrastructure is decentralized.
1: Now on a technical level, how are these attacks and and shutdowns uh, are being done? Exactly. Do we know anything about that? Do they, you know, uh, run malicious code or do they actually like physically go out there and maybe send their like agent or something to cut lines or things like that? You know,
0: um, just I'm just wondering about that. Yeah, this is the big question. Everyone wonders. Okay, we know internet shutdowns are happening, but how are they happening? You know, what is is there this massive kill switch? You almost imagine this big red switch or this button that uh, authorities are using to switch off the internet, or uh, that through. Um, so, you look at cyber attacks, and you know that this is happening. You also know that the ISPs aren't too open about how it's happening, but uh, from our understanding and from our reporting, we've seen that. Um, ransomware has been one of the challenges. So if if core devices have been attacked or if consumer private data, personal data has been targeted, then ISPs may even choose to switch off their infrastructure until they can get a handle on the situation for fear of having that private data leaked. So that is one of the mechanisms that happens. In terms of actual viruses or worms being used to target infrastructure, the situation is less clear. The jury is still out on this because... um, quite often the infrastructure that ISPs have is is pretty secure. You know, there's good engineers working on this infrastructure. So that isn't a phenomenon we've seen so much. Uh, we've definitely seen uh, this being a physical phenomenon where the premises of ISPs can be infiltrated, can be attacked. And quite often when it comes to switching off an ISP, pulling the plug is the most natural way that it's done. And this applies both in cyber context and uh, in military context, but also in the shutdown scenario where you will actually see that, you know, these these uh, cables are being pulled out one by one or the power is being switched off. So it's, it's really, it can be quite um, basic and non-technical at times.
1: Do you have any sort of tri- tips or something like that um, for the ISPs out there who are providing this internet? Maybe, what, you, you know, spoke about auditing, um, but maybe there's some kind of tools that they could use to sort of... Uh, Again, tips or tools, whatever uh, to you know improve and and make sure that this doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're recommending that ISPs increase their peering. So this means having more interchange points. So instead of having a top-down hierarchy, this would mean uh, peering or connecting with other ISPs. And this isn't always a natural uh, business case. I mean, you have to argue that you're basically connecting to your competitors. Uh, to to make this work. But it pays off because then consumers, customers can communicate between the ISPs without it going through the backbone. So when there's an incident, this means that the internet is far more resilient. this is really the original idea that the internet had, you know, uh, back um, decades ago when it was designed to be resilient to different types of even nuclear attacks. So that's one of the kind of things that has, for example, helped internet connectivity to remain in Ukraine, because there are thousands and thousands of internet providers, and quite often they interconnect with one of each other. So, you know, it, it's, it's a general piece of, of advice that we can recommend for providers. In terms of cybersecurity, obviously staying patched and having redundancy are good ideas. There aren't specific technologies, software solutions that we recommend, but good engineering pro, uh, practice really helps.
1: Uh, I'm sure you're aware of Starlink from Elon Musk company. Um, they have this, uh, you can buy a satellite and uh, DISH and and you can basically connect to Starlink. And how is, what's your opinion on that uh, system?
0: We're cautiously optimistic about Starlink. Um, There's been a lot of hype and uh, it's a technology that's currently very exclusive. Not everyone has the terminals that you need to connect through Starlink. But in general, uh, this concept of low earth orbit satellite networks is really a game changer. And it's, it's gonna have impact also Potentially down the line, you're actually going to be able to use your 5G phone to connect to these directly. So there is some hope. On the other hand, it's also there's an element of centralization. Again, you're you're relying on one company to deliver that connectivity. But uh, you know, overall, this is a positive impact. This is innovation. It's happening. So we're very excited about um, about Starlink, about the organisation that's doing this, um, and the fact that they've also handed out terminals and been able to provide connectivity now for this to be effective we need to see it being used not just by individuals you know who get access to terminals but also uh that this is becomes part of our existing infrastructure so what i'm talking about here is actually plugging in to the isps to the infrastructure that we have and then making that stronger by bringing in satellites to the mix so let's say let's say a subsea cable gets cut off let's say your peers go down, then you can still connect and get your users online through Satellite. I mean, honestly, I
1: think more, because uh, right now, the, the barrier to entry is uh, I think it costs like $600, which is very costly for to, to get Starlink. But I think other ISPs will look at it and be like, okay, this is something that we should be doing. Um, now, let's, you know, at the core of it, why is it important that everyone has access to the internet?
0: Well, it's uh, 2022, and the internet has become the core of everything we do. You know, the pandemic pushed things further. We all realize that we're boxed in this room at times, and we have this one channel out to the world. So, you know, when it comes to human rights, there isn't really human rights anymore if you don't have internet access. When it comes to business, work, there is no work without internet access. So it's so vital that we make sure that that connectivity remains and that it's monitored independently, and that that resource can remain available and be extended to people who still don't have connectivity in this age. It's really a crucial part of everything we do, and we're here to make sure that it's, it remains on.
1: And I'm sorry if you spoke about this before, maybe I missed it, but I want to talk about, about the action plan, sort of like what should people do? If they, what should people do if they do experience a shutdown? And maybe there's like some kind of steps that they could take
0: So the first step is to understand if it's uh, localized, if it's your whole country. Quite often people think when when internet goes down that it's their internet router or it's their own um, mobile provider. So it's really useful to get a sense of how wide is the impact. Um, And this can really uh, help advise as to what steps you take to get connected. Now, if it's a partial shutdown, there's really hope because you can use a VPN. You can actually... Uh, reconnect and get regain access. So that's a super exciting uh, option that doesn't cost much and provides an immediate solution. But if you have a situation where, you know, the, the lights are flashing uh, on your modem, there's no way to connect, then you have to find other solutions. Now you might not have a satellite phone handy, so you need to find other options. We found that sometimes switching SIM cards can work, especially if you have an international SIM card, This will allow you to reconnect to international networks. And another option is to try to uh, use even a traditional modem. It will be very slow, but in an emergency, you can actually connect by using a dial-up. We've tried this uh, in the lab, and we've had mixed results. If you remember, you know, these screechy uh, modems that (laughs) that sometimes connect. Uh, It turns out it's still possible to get a connection over a phone line. You know, uh, obviously, it's so slow. We were able to get a tweets out. But if you're hoping to view images or browse the web, it's really a no go. So you know that that's one emergency solution. But really, there aren't all that many options. If, if you're in the middle of a blackout, then the best option is to raise awareness, get the word out as whatever way you can, so that that pressure can impl- be applied because internet shutdowns only work in silence. Now you spoke about router.
1: Is there something like uh, in terms of hardware that people could purchase that could increase their sort of security? Maybe the specific uh, router firmwares, uh, you know, because there are firmwares like uh, DDWRT where you can actually use a VPN with them. Like not every you know uh, not every uh, store bought sh- sh- uh, you know off the shelf router will support a VPN. So there's certain uh, you know router firmwares that can help. Uh, you know, as well, but also you t- you spoke about you know dial up and and you know that's certainly all technology. But um, if you know if their speeds are super low and super slow, our internet is basically right now built on the uh, uh, you know where pages do take a while to load up because the you know the the co- at the core of it they they have a lot of data in there, and if you ha- if you are limited in terms of speed. You won't be able to, as you said, you can only like make one tweet, which was, I'm, I'm sure would very difficult. So uh, I think our, the whole internet infrastructure is sort of built at least to have like some sort of minimum speed uh, in order to use it. So dial-up would be extremely hard <laughs> to use, essentially.
0: I mean, it turns out the internet has bloated a lot since it was invented. And when we tried the uh, dial-up test, we weren't expecting it to be quite as bad as it was. On the other hand, we were excited because, hey, at least this is something in the absence of anything. And if you need to send that message out, then it could just about help. But obviously, uh, finding more seamless solutions is something that's interesting. Now, that's a really interesting question you asked about um, routers, because you have some exciting firmwares. You have DDWRT, which is probably, uh, you know, it's it's a one-stop shop. You also have more DIY options like OpenWRT, which is also so exciting, especially for developers, people who like piecing together their, their technology. Uh, and We actually use that at the office. Uh, so um, now there are way offs. There, there's a balance to be found with this. If you are gonna use a VPN on your router, then that is gonna help you reconnect if you're in the middle of a shutdown. You may not get the same privacy assurances that you would get by running that VPN directly on your phone or on your laptop or your device. Because uh, when you're running the VPN on your router, it can protect the whole network. But your device doesn't know that a VPN is active. So this means that there's still a risk that it can leak certain bits of information. So it's a stopgap. It's okay. It's a really good way of retrofitting security onto an existing network. But nothing actually beats having your VPN running on your device in terms of preventing those leaks to the outside world.
1: Maybe there's something I could ask you. Uh, you know, this topic is fascinating. Um, and I actually do watch and, and read, uh, every tweet that you have. And, uh, you know, even a couple of days ago, even li- right now, I just, uh, saw that, uh, a tweet about, uh, br- a British Virgin Media, uh, having thousands of subscribers without internet service across England. And, and the incident is ongoing. As, as I assume these tweets are automatic or are they, um, you know, posted by someone from your team?
0: We don't do automatic tweets. We check and review each post as we do it. So I think that's a key differentiator because when you have a feed of outages, then um, you have a problem where there are false positives and the scale isn't there, the context isn't there. So we have a strict three-phase check system before we do reporting, which means checking with metrics checking with the situation on the ground and checking the infrastructure, which helps improve things. So we we don't leave in the automated reporting because if you did that, you would just have a feed of minor and major outages without any context. And, you know, that's interesting. But also it can cause a lot of trouble because uh, sometimes people will misinterpret that report. They may see it as a government-initiated shutdown when in fact it's part of the infrastructure. Sometimes we've seen uh, that it's, it's even in a different country where the problem is. So we really try to tailor it and tune it and integrate it into our overall reporting uh, to make sure that we get that through.
1: So if the shutdown does happen, is there any sort of like backbone system that as a user of ISP that you could have? Like, okay, you know, like an electricity generator, your main electricity goes down, it goes through the generator, that kind of thing.
0: So a product idea here. Oh, yeah. Um, what we did is we wired up an OpenWRT router with a bunch of shell scripts that alternate switches and the VLANs, you know, at the back, each port. You can configure it either. So each port is like you have just one internal network LAN and you have one public network. Uh, so you can just change that. So each one is a different port. And we plug different internet providers into each one of them. And we made it switch up. So if one of them goes down or even slows down, then you can switch over to another. So it's, it's something nice you can do at your office. And this is really my, my paranoia that one day in the middle of a call or something, or when I'm doing a report, it's gonna go off. So I, I set up that switching to do. That is that awesome. None of the routers actually do it properly, right? Like I have this bad addiction to buying new cheap routers that are compatible <laughs> with it and flashing them. Uh, <laughs> no. the stack of them. I guess that's what we do, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, I, I remember. Uh, no, I'm not a big router guy, but I remember. Yeah, I did uh, flash uh, the DDWRT for uh, uh, my own personal router because we, we do have uh, like our own uh, you know office routers. But I was you know praying you know fingers crossed. Like, oh, please don't break my router <laughs> because this is my only one that I have. So, but it actually worked out okay. And, and again, this this whole task, even for me as a nerdy tech guy, you know, it's it's a daunting task to flash something in like uh, Open WRT or DDWRT. But but again, that's actually a, again great idea and we're actually going to write this thing down and we're going to have like a video idea. So thank you, Al. Uh, Awesome conversation.
0: Not too bad. I mean, the first time I tried to flash a router, I actually blew a hole this large (laughs) into the motherboard. It's a conical, volcanic kind of experience. So yeah, it definitely happens.
1: Well, um, you know, I'm super uh, thankful for all your work and, uh, you know, and you coming out here to to our podcast to talk about uh, this topic. Again, super fascinating. And uh, I guess our audience uh, can find out more about it on uh, netblogs.org.
0: Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Cheers.
1: And uh, yeah, thank you for listening and, and, and definitely check out NetBlox, uh their Twitter account, uh, super fascinating stuff. You can find out about Internet shutdowns and you can take action if it does happen in uh, your area. If you want to know more about cybersecurity and uh, this industry and everything else, then please subscribe to our YouTube channel and go uh, watch more of our podcasts. Stay safe and stay connected with Surfshark.